Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's delightful to be with you and uh, in your new building. About a year ago, we came through St. Louis and just spent the day with Brian and Rachel and our good friends Travis and Tiffany, some of you know them, and uh, Brian drove me past the building, he was saying we were about to go in, so it's just fantastic to see it, full of wonderful people, and uh, it's a privilege to be preaching to you this morning. As uh, my wife and I were searching for the best coffee in St. Louis yesterday, which I think we found uh, I don't know, but I mean, you might hate me if I tell you what it is, Uh, but uh, we found a good coffee shop called Annex next to Webster University. I'm sure it's not quite as good as Jubilee's coffee, but anyway, I digress. (laughs) On the radio, they were saying there's 27 million Americans with long COVID, which means they're not suffering with it, but they've just got no sense of smell or taste. And... uh, it was interesting, I, I, I was with a good friend of ours, Donnie Griggs, a while ago, who planted out of Southlands about 14 years into the Outer Banks, North, North Carolina, and he said, you know, I feel like I've got long COVID of the soul. He's like, I don't really get particularly happy about anything. I don't get particularly sad about everything. I just kind of feel numb. I just kind of feel gray. And he articulated something for me that I didn't have words for until I found them in the, soul, in, in the Psalms. And the Psalms are an incredible book that describe the anatomy of the soul and God's desire for us to be in emotional health. It's an interesting one that the great command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. Uh, that, that word soul, which is mentioned in the psalm so many times, and it's the word nefesh, which means the very seat of your emotions. Now, some of you are probably going, yeah, of course, a Californian. You guys are all emotional and don't bring your emotionalism here. I mean, in some ways, it's ironic. You know, your wild weather is a little bit like our soul. Now, we, we have mild weather and, 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 and wild souls. Uh, you have the opposite. Uh, you have wild weather and mild souls. I know that's a generalization, but every Midwesterner that comes to join our church, we just go, yes. They just kind of get on with it. No fuss. And they play team and they're humble and they're hardworking. I'm not flattering you. That's just the truth. But there can be a dangerous kind of stoicism that creeps into us where we actually deny what's going on in our soul. And Psalm 42 is a well-known psalm which mentions this word nefesh four times. And it's about that psalmist who is panting for streams of living water like a deer. If you grew up in the 70s or 80s, you sang that chorus as the deer ad nauseum. I was just like, can someone shoot that flipping deer, you know? (laughs) But actually, we sang it so often because it resonates so deeply 
with the universal longing of the people of God for the presence of God. So let's read it together. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord, amen? It's written by the sons of Korah who were paid temple musicians. Uh, they, they were paid to lead people into the presence of God. But here, the psalmist is far from the presence of God. He, he feels like God has forgotten him. He's panting, he's, he's desperate like a deer longing for streams of living water. But there's this counterintuitive little moment here, this, this paradox, and this is that his soul is thirsty, it's, it's panting, and yet he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And I'm going, what's going on? If you're so empty, why are you pouring out your soul? And it seems that he is not thirsty because of emptiness. He's thirsty because he's too full. And it teaches us that very often in order to be filled with God's presence, we need to empty our souls. Our souls often are like waterlogged sponges. If you leave a sponge in the bathtub and it's all grimy and waterlogged, you've actually got to wring it out before you can put clean water in it. In other words, we have saturated souls. We're not too empty, we're too full. My generation, the Gen Xs, we wore burnout like a badge of honour. We were all redlining on reserve. We were all doing tech startups in our parents' garages because of the dot-com boom. And, 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 and we were, are you burnout? Yeah, I'm burnout. I'm so burnout. Are you burnout? It's like a badge of honour. There was depletion and, and it produced yuppie flu. It was the pandemic of depletion. I'm not saying that people don't burn out today. There is burnout, but burnout is not the buzzword that it was 20 years ago. People today are not depleted as much as they are saturated. They're exhausted in turmoil because they're too full. 
We are saturated, I think, because of our 24-hour news cycle. Because bad news sells, it's clickbait. And so we watch these tragedies, whether it's the flooding in Arkansas, whether it's the war in Ukraine, and we just go, why don't I feel anything? And we feel bad about not feeling bad. And then we sit with someone who's got great news. They've just fallen pregnant or someone's got healed or saved or got a promotion. You go, I wish I felt gladder, but I don't, I just feel kind of numb. I feel kind of gray. I, my soul is a little bit like my kids' paintings from preschool where they just splash all the colors on there and different colors that it just looks a dull gray. We are saturated souls. Perhaps we're saturated because of the slew of online acquaintances that don't fill us because we long for deep embodied intimacy. Perhaps our souls are saturated because we find ourselves in jobs or in leadership positions in the church or in business or in education, finance, where we're taking on people's pains and their joys and their hopes and we wanna be empathetic, but there's a point at which we just get full up. And so we escape from that kind of pain through watching mindless TikTok dances or if you're like me, endless reels of men cooking steak on open fire. I don't know why that does it for me. It's like, anyway. We have saturated souls. And I wonder what it would be if we took soul detox as seriously as body detox. After a season of high calorie intake, we, we, we purge, we drink water and eat celery sticks and brew our own kombucha and whatever, you know. But actually, what would it be to go through a season of wringing out the sponge of our souls in order to be filled with God? This fast, which is always slow, not fast, it's an opportunity for you to do a soul detox, to actually pour out your soul. Now, this is not a legalistic formula. But this is healthy spiritual formation. God longs to pour out His presence on His people. But actually, very often we need to do some hard soul work in order to create capacity for Him to pour out. So what we see, firstly, is this, that this man pours out his soul. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, verse 4 how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. The son of Korah, I mean, he is a paid temple musician. He's got the skinny jeans and the Maverick City hoodie and his Gibson J45. But instead of leading the procession to the house of God, he's dragging his Nike Air Force Ones to the house of God. He is caught in the gap between ministry responsibility and spiritual reality, and it's tearing him apart. And you don't have to be a worship leader to feel that gap at times. It's like, oh, this is a dangerous gap. And actually the Psalms teach us that we are not to fake it. We're not just to carry on, but we are actually, and we're not freaks if we feel that way. We are in good company with the people of God. And we are to pour out our souls. Martin Luther talking about 
the Psalms, he says, the Psalms are not just the songbook of God's people, they are the soul book of God's people. He says, and let's get it up there, the Psalms display the intricate anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms display the intricate anatomy of the soul. Satan would love for you to feel like you're a freak because you feel that way. The Psalms say, I'm in good company and God is not shocked by my soul, so pour it out. God is secure enough and loving enough to deal with your soul. Your husband might not be. Your wife might not be. Your pastor, your life group leader, your therapist might not be. All of those are great soul buddies, but only God has unending compassion and security to cope with the blah of our soul. Pour it out on Him first. And too often we have great expectations of human soul buddies, but we don't go to our first soulmate, the Lord Himself. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that many of the Psalms are Psalms of orientation, where all is right with the world and our soul and the people of God and God's presence feels close and we feel blessed. And so there are these Psalms of rejoicing and gratitude. And, but he says a third of the Psalms are Psalms of disorientation. When actually all is not right with the world or my soul or the people of God or God Himself and I feel like I'm upside down. I feel disorientated. A full third and Psalm 42 is one of those. And he describes the turmoil of his soul as being caught under a breaker. All your waves and breakers have crashed over me. I know you're far from the ocean, but I'm sure all of us at some point have been caught under a breaker and we just get caught. And as we come up for air, another breaker comes and we just upside down and water up our nose and our lungs burning. That's how he describes his soul. Can you relate? I can, I can. And so he pours it out and he, he pours it out in lament, in lament. Why? My soul, are you so downcast within me? Henry Nowen, that great writer of the soul, says that most of prayer is grieving. He grieves at the turmoil of his soul. And we can do that because we find that God actually is greatly compassionate to those who lament. I mean, this guy, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's lost his appetite. He can't sleep. He's got like snotting tears in his beard. He's living on a diet of tears. I wish when my soul was in turmoil, I lived on a diet of tears instead of truffles. <laughs> but actually he's going, there's something wrong and he pours out his soul in Lament. I love Psalm 56 that says, You keep track of all my sorrows, O God. You have collected all my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Beloved, tears are not tolerated by God. They are precious to God. He collects our tears in a bottle. And I know for, for us men, often not only men, 
But, but we're like, well, cowboys don't cry. That's not what it is to be a man. I mean, David, David wrote Psalm 56, this warrior, this king, you've collected my tears in a bottle. We've got to be aware and wary of stoicism. Suck it up, buttercup. Keep calm and carry on. There is a time to be just dependable, but actually there's a time to stop and go, this is, I need to pour out my soul. The danger of not pouring out our soul is number one, nostalgia. We long for the better days. We long for the glory days. In the words of you two, we glorify the past when the future dries up. And he's on the edge of nostalgia. I remember how I used to lead the procession to the house of God. One of my favorite movies, Nacho Libra, he gets into nostalgia and he's like, remember that time when everyone was shouting my name and I used my strength to rip my blouse? <laughs> Inappropriate? I don't know. <laughs> but nostalgia happens to us. Oh, I long for the simpler, easier days, pre-COVID, less politically divisive. Long for the days when everyone flooded the church. It's so easy to get caught in nostalgia if we don't pour out our souls. Sometimes we get caught in faking it if we don't process our souls. Because you know in church, we're supposed to have it together, especially if we're leaders like this guy. And so we feel in turmoil and people come and say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, brother. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm blessed. And you're just breaking inside. And actually, this, these psalms are, are a call to be honest, not just to God, but, but to the people of God. This is not a pity party, but this is pouring out his soul to God. And then secondly, what we find is that he begins to listen to his soul. You know, some of us have have grown up in, in, in cultures or particularly church cultures that we say, man, just stick to the truth of God's word, ignore your feelings. We'll get to that now. But actually, God's word calls us not to ignore our feelings. That's why emotions are mentioned in so much in the book of Psalms. Pete Scazzaro says this, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So, so pouring out our souls is not just for the worship leaders and the poets and, and the progressives. It's for plumbers. It's for executives. It's for students. It's for pastors. It's for bank managers. It's for teachers. It's for everyone that wants to learn to love the Lord our God with our soul. So he pours it out and then, then he begins to listen to his soul. Verse five, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? In other words, it's not enough for him just to say, this is how I am. It's like, but, but why? What's, in my words, the thing beneath the thing? What's the root cause of this thing? That takes a little bit of soul work. And this word turmoil that he describes is the Hebrew word shachat. So it's a beautiful word. It's quite a scary word, but it's, it's comforting if we'll allow it to be because it, it stretches from anyone who's just generally feeling gloomy and extends all the way to complete emotional collapse and utter despair. So you feel a little bit gloomy? 
you're in good company. You feel in utter despair with clinical anxiety and depression. The arms of the Father are around all of his people. You are not a freak. You are not alone. But we need to do the hard work of why? Why, oh my soul? Are you so downcast with me? There seems to be in the psalm two whys, two reasons. The one is in verse 10 where he says, from Mount Mizar, sorry, verse 5, 6, from Mount Mizar I call to you. Mount Mizar was right on the outskirts of Israel. It wasn't close to Jerusalem or the temple. In other words, he fell far from the presence of God because for some reason he was far from the people of God. And that's a warning to us. We know that God is good. He can meet us on a river and on a mountain by ourselves. But, but actually, distance from the embodied community results in a turmoil of soul. And coming out of, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. Well done. Awesome. But we know how hard it's been actually to, to drag ourselves out back into embodied community because it was quite nice watching church in our PJs having a champagne brunch. <laughs> that was quite nice. But after a while, it, it actually doesn't fill our soul. It, it saturates. That extra glass of champagne didn't do what we were thinking it would do. And so there's an exhortation to prioritize the people of God in order to find the presence of God. I love communing with God in nature, but there is nothing like the people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God, breaking bread, encouraging one another, admonishing one another. Let's not forsake that. There's another why, thing beneath the thing, and it's wounds. Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? We don't know who his adversaries were, why they taunted him, but his soul is in turmoil because of wounds. And the Bible teaches us that it's not just sticks and stones that will break our bones. Wounds can hurt us. With a deadly wound, my enemies taunt me. And this is so important because as a gospel-believing church, we believe that, and you believe too, that ultimately the filling of our soul is when we repent and God pours out His rivers of cleansing. That's the gospel in Jesus. But there is a moment when we actually go, but actually I have been sinned against. And we have a category for wounds. You can't actually repent of wounds. Wounds have different healing other than repentance. Sin is a rebellious place in the heart that needs repentance. Wounds are tender places in the heart that need healing. Who has wounded you? Have you allowed Jesus to be the healer of those wounds? I know that we can take that too far where we just blame everyone else for our soul saturation. And let me just press pause here and say, if you haven't heard the gospel, hear it again. When I came to the States in 2007, 
I played rugby in South Africa and I thought, I must learn an American game. So for my sins, I took up softball. I don't know why softball, I don't get that thing. <laughs> anyway, prefer baseball. But I learned softball and uh, there was this weird thing that the team would do. We weren't a very good team. And so when you'd strike out or drop a catch or whatever, the guys would say, my bad. And then the team would say, you're good. I was like, what is going on? So I go to the team captain, it's like, why do people say my bad when they mess up? He says, no, no, that's admitting it's my fault. I'm not blaming anyone else, taking responsibility for that thing. Okay, that makes sense. But why do you then say you're good? Because he's not good. <laughs> why you say you're good? No, no, no. What, we, what we're saying is not that you're good. We're saying it's good. Like we forgive you. We're putting it behind us and moving on. I was just like, dude, that's the gospel. <laughs> that is the gospel. When we say my bad, we say I'm not blaming anyone else. I'm taking responsibility. And God says, you're good. And when he says you're good, he's not actually saying you're good. He's actually saying you're bad. But actually, because you've repented and hidden yourself in Christ who is completely good, it's good. I declare you righteous. That is the gospel. And that is the very soul of health. But there are moments at which we need to acknowledge we don't only have rebellious places in our hearts that need repentance. We have tender places in our souls that need healing. And if we've been wounded, man, healing very often is gradual and slow. It requires healthy community and counsel. It requires repeated forgiveness. It requires the oil of the Spirit that brings us to gladness. When Jesus said, Forgive your enemies 70 times seven. He wasn't talking about 70 different kinds of enemy. He was often talking about one kind of enemy that wounds you 490 times and you need to forgive them repeatedly. And I don't want to make light of the fact that many of you struggle with deep, deep wounds. And one little, oh, I forgive you, doesn't bring healing, but you stay at it by the grace of God. He wants to heal. Our hope for our wounds is that we bring our wounds to the wounded one. Isaiah 53 says that he was wounded not just for our sins, but for our sorrows. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Bring your wounds to the wounded one. Edward Shalito talking about Jesus, the wounded Healer in 1919 said this, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but Christ alone. It's only one God who has wounds, Christ alone. Bring your wounds to the wounded one. And thirdly, he begins to speak to his soul. This is probably my favorite piece in the psalm. After listening to his soul and going, why? Why are you so downcast? He begins to speak and he says, oh my soul, put your hope in God. Oh my soul, praise God. He is your salvation and your God. He, he moves on from questioning his soul to now commanding his soul. 
How's your self-talk? Your self-talk is probably the most important aspect of your soul health because you're talking to yourself all the time. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, says most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Talking to yourself is not the first sign of madness, first sign of emotional health. Where you listen to yourself, you don't deny how you're feeling, but then there's a point where you say, okay, I've listened long enough. Soul, you are not my master. God is my master. You see, our culture tells us, screams at us, be true to yourself. Be be true to your emotions. Don't, Don't fake it. If you feel this way, act out on it. You be you, boo. That's what our soul, that's what our culture says. But God's wisdom is so much wiser. It says, don't deny your emotions, but don't be a slave to them either. Having listened to your soul, now speak to it. When I think like, be true to yourself, I just want to go, to which self should I be true? Because I don't know about you, but I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I get up each morning feeling differently about everything. And if I was a slave to that, I would be totally unpredictable. Thank the Lord for the steadfast anchor of his word and his promises. That hopefully my, my, my family and my wife and my, my church and my friends don't have to wonder which Alan they're going to get which day because I'm just being so true to myself. And so this is how the psalmist speaks to his soul. Put your hope in God. Praise God, O oh my soul. I love what C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters about praising God. And he says that we don't realize that our souls and our bodies are connected. And Screwtape was, was this demon, it's, it's an allegory, and he's trying to tempt this Christian into self-pity. And he says this, he says, at the very least they, Christians, can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals and whatever their bodies do affect their souls. In other words, when I'm feeling sorry for myself, the best thing I can do is raise my hands. It's not faking it till you make it. It's actually saying, all right, I'm feeling sorry for myself, but actually body, put your hope in God, praise God, and your soul actually follows. If I'm feeling rebellious, the best thing I can do is kneel. I'm not faking it. I know I'm feeling rebellious. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying there's a higher truth than how I'm feeling. Praise is such a weapon against self-pity and despair. These are some of my self-talk moments. Alan, you feel this way, but that's not the truest thing about you. Alan, this has been done to you, but that's not the truest thing about you. Alan, you have done this. That's not the truest thing about you. And I remind myself, Alan, the truest thing about you is not what you have done and not what's been done to you. It's what's been done for you by Jesus. 
I want to say, Jubilee, the truest thing about you is not what you have done. It's not what's been done to you. It's what has been done for you by Jesus. Your soul needs to hear that in the words of Martin Luther, beat the gospel into your heads every day. That's the truest thing about you, what's been done for you. Speak to your soul. And finally, the, the psalm beautifully resolves. He says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. By day, your steadfast love is with me. By night, your song is with me. He's this deer. He likens himself to a deer that pants for streams of God's presence. What he gets is a waterfall of God's steadfast love. Isn't that wonderful? God gives us more than we can ask or imagine. He's longing to pour out the waterfall of his steadfast love. And I wanna ask like, what is the assurance if you have a saturated soul and you go, how do I know I'm not gonna be left panting for God? How do I know I'm not gonna be abandoned and die in this wilderness? How do I know? I wanna tell you how you can know. It's because you are not a deer. You are a sheep. You are the sheep belonging to the shepherd. And the shepherd paid for you like a lamb with his own life. And the shepherd we find promises, I will lead them to streams of living water. Psalm 23 and Revelations 21. He promises you're a sheep. And if you're looking to Jesus as your shepherd, he will not leave you thirsty. On the way to the cross, where Jesus would pay like a lamb for his flock, in John 7, he stands up at the Feast of the Tabernacles and says, if anyone is thirsty, ring any bells? If anyone is thirsty, let him drink of me. And streams of living water will well up to eternal life. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit who would be given. Your good shepherd who paid for you, he's taking care of your thirst. He's ready to pour out the river of his presence through the Holy Spirit. But ask, knock, and seek. Lord Jesus, we see you in this psalm. How great shepherd our great giver of living water. We come to you. We come to you with souls that are in turmoil, that are downcast, and we pour them out. We don't want to deny, Lord, but we don't want them to be king. We want you, Jesus, to be king. So won't you come and pour out your spirit on our saturated souls? Won't you come and return us to orientation in your presence? Won't you turn us the right side up? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to speak to our soul. Say, soul, put your hope in God. Praise Him. He is your Father and your God. And we come to you with deep assurance that you will not leave us as deer. We are sheep being led to the water. And everyone said, 